Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bride of Truth and Movies. Today, DC does Amazon Video in Wonder Woman. But as the lass with the lasso takes on World War One, the Hun versus the Hun, is this another misstep for DC? Also, My Life as a Courgette, Claude Barras' tale of the mighty orphan Courgette set, is 24 karat gold. Plus, Film Club, ahead of Colin Farrell getting legless again, we hear your thoughts on Don Siegel's psychosexual 70s classic, The Beguiled. That's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Hello, world. David Jenkins is back on Truth and Movies. Hi there. Hi there. Adam Woodward's here again. Hello. And me, James Richardson. David, how was Can? Exhausting. Right. And emotional. And now I've got some uh, Can Lurgy. Hopefully that won't come through on this, uh, this right. broadcast. Tell us what happened there. What was your favourite film? Well, I, I talked about The Beguiled last week. And oh, I yeah. think, in it, just so we don't go into Beguiled Overdrive... Yep. Uh, I'd probably say my other favourite film was was a film called The Florida Project mm. by a director called Sean Baker. He uh, did a f- film a couple of years ago called Tangerine, which was which was great. And this is follow up. It's set on the outskirts of Disney World in Florida among kind of working class residents of a um, motel. Uh, it has incredible child actors. It's got Willem Dafoe in one of his greatest ever roles. Really? And he's not playing a kind of freaky pervert or, or, or like violent maniac. When's it out, David? I'm not sure, but it's been picked up for the UK from Cannes. And so hopefully it'll be out sometime later this year and hopefully appearing on this podcast. That name again? The Florida Project. Right, OK. Uh, post, uh, Jamie Gillis uh, enjoys listening to us. On his way to work. That's nice. He says all sorts of nice things about bright people discussing movies old and new. I think that was about last week's show. Uh, We've also got lots of comments about our film club this week, which is The Beguiled, which we will therefore be talking about a little bit later on, because right now we're going to start with a big release in the UK this Friday, which is very much Wonder Woman. What the hell is this thing? The lasso of Hestia compels you to reveal the truth. That is really hot. What is your mission? Whoever you are, you are in more danger than you think. What is your mission? I am a... I am a spy! I'm a spy. I'm a spy. The lasso of Hestia there otherwise known as The Lasso of Truth. And I'm going to apply that to you now, uh, David. First of all, what is this film? So Wonder Woman is um, the latest film 
to be made under the DC Comics imprint. And uh, for me, going to see a DC Comics film is probably equivalent to like, you know, uh, you know, going to for root canal, unnecessary surgery, you know, putting the bins out. It's not a pleasurable thing. But um, this movie is actually very pleasurable, I think. Um, it's about Wonder Woman, the, the woman of the title, uh, played by Gal Gadot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I think I've got that pronunciation yeah. right. Just since you started, I was just going to say she's great, isn't she? I think so, yes. Right. I think she takes the role of Wonder Woman very seriously, but without kind of being too a, a serious a presence. Mm. She, there's you know, a there, playfulness. There's there. a playfulness and there, there's, you know, there's a little tongue-in-cheek irony there, but not but not, not sort of, doesn't sort of scream it on the screen. Um, so, yeah, she grows up in on a, on a kind of secluded tropical island among other female Amazons and I think that if, if you just imagine what women known as Amazons look like you could probably imagine what the women in this film look like I mean they're they ride on horseback in kind of um, leather fetish wear kind of outfits and um, you know it's, it's very free and easy right, um, right. and um, Chris Pine yeah he arrives and then she discovers the world and World War One happens. Indeed. Anyway, what did you think of the film? Oh, I, I thought the film was, was really good. I mean, like, again, my, my expectations were probably fairly uh, modest for, for it. Um, I'd seen that it had got some good early reviews, so that would kind of, that made me a little bit more excited about it. But I just thought the thing, it, it kind of did the storytelling and the character building in a really simple, stripped back, honest way. It felt like a kind of something from the 80s or 90s like it wasn't too over the top with special effects or tie you up in silly storylines or tangents and you know there weren't thousands of side characters and yeah it just it felt like a really even even at two hours 21 minutes it still felt like a a tight movie i thought all right nice adam yes (laughs) <laughs> you two saw it together, but you emerged with very different takes on the film. Do you, do you know what? I agree with all of that, and I, and I agree largely with David's review. I took issue a little bit with her characterization. Which Fra- part of her Amazon goddess wasn't realistic for you? Well, not, not so much the realism, more, more the fact that they've essentially taken a character who is w- written by a group of men back in the 1940s, I think, and they sort of just plonked her into 2017. I, did, I didn't feel they went far enough with trying to modernise her. And the film, I think, adheres to a fairly cosy, heteronormative worldview uh, that basically says women can be strong and have their place, but that love conquers all. And, you know, her story ultimately is one of her realising the, the harnessing the power of love. Right. The redemptive power. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting, that, that kind of heterogenic, did you call it, worldview? Heteronormative. Hetero, sorry, heteronormative worldview. There is a, f- a fascinating hint that when you talk about an island full of Amazons, that you do wonder how the kind of whole, the implications of that, and she does, there's a little hint halfway through where they discuss the fact that they've, they've had 12 volumes written about physical pleasure and that the conclusion was that men are really not necessary for it. The one thing I did like, I think her and Chris Pine mm. work really well together, they got great chemistry. And I like the fact it does play with the gender roles and the gender politics in some of the jokes, especially early on in, in their meeting. His sort of awkwardness and discomfort is, is the butt of the joke more often than not, as opposed to it being hers. Right. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought it was quite subtle and, and interesting in the way it did that. I just wish it maybe pushed it a bit further. And, you know, it's, it's a big blockbuster made for middle America. So, If people asked you if they should go and see it, what would you say? 
uh, if you like comic book movies, I mean, I read initially coming out of the screening last night, I read some reactions describing it as the best DC comic book movie. Right. Which I thought, oh, you know. It's, that's an average size pygmy, isn't it? Right. Really? I mean, <laughs> we're talking about, we're comparing it to Suicide Squad, Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. And it, I mean, it's comfortably better than those films. Right. Whether it's in itself a great film, I, yeah, not for me. All right, David, you would recommend it. I would recommend it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. Like, I mean, I have a, a certain coterie of friends who, and I would have to be selective about what you know, what kind of things right. I recommend. Is it, you know, if it was a, just a, to the boys, just a, ge- a general, per, a per, you know, a rando as they call them now, I would maybe recommend it to someone random. But okay, I think I like the fact that the film does feel like it has these kind of, for me anyway, it felt like it had these kind of feminist credentials uh, it was about a strong powerful woman who didn't need the, the sort of men around her to sort of succeed in what she was doing but and I like the fact that it doesn't kind of it, it's not a kind of self-consciously girl power movie mm. it kind of plays with the genders in an interesting way I think and yeah without being too kind of in your face with it right well, um, it was directed by a woman as well Paddy Jenkins yeah yeah who did uh, Monster, which was all the way back in 2003, remarkably enough, 14 years ago. I've got a very different impression of this film. I, I, I want to hear your to, impression. Well, see, I liked it at the start. I mean, I thought it was kind of fine, this, this, the mythical island with this Amazon race kind of wandering around and all the stuff they were doing. And I was kind of down with that. And I quite like the bit where Chris Pine, Pine turns up and then they have that big clash of cultures thing. And as you say, all his comical confusion as he's trying to explain how men and women get together or, or don't to her um, and that was all quite fun I mean it, it didn't take itself too seriously and I thought my big question going in was do they get it right this time DC they've got it wrong so many times did they get it right and there was a lightness of tone there and it was action action packed without being over complicated and I thought yeah this, we're heading in the right direction here but then and as I say Gal Gadot I think is t- terrific but then um they decided, no, actually, let's take things seriously. Let's go to World War One, And I'm, I'm just really bewildered at DC's decision. They're trying to bring in to a comic book movie universe, to a modern audience, a woman in a kind of golden brassiere who's got bullet-reflecting bracelets and stuff and a golden lasso of truth. And then they think, what possible context can we make this seem, you know, not seem wildly incongruous? Bingo, we'll put her in the trenches. I'd love to have been at that meeting where they went, yeah, that's the perfect environment to bring in the Amazon goddess. But that, I think that's what makes the film interesting is that you you do have this kind of light, fluffy setup. Yeah, with, but and, it's and, you know, they're, they're David. But I mean, the, the idea is that the, the, the Wonder Woman and, yeah. and the Amazonians are living in this kind of shrouded, secluded society where they have no idea of the concept of war and the horrors that, right. are, that are kind of, you know, meters beyond their kind of island. And so Do you not think the very maybe, idea that beyond there is actually the war to end all wars, quote-unquote, right. is fascinating. It's like she's seen, she's seen the best and worst of humanity in, like, two halves of the film. Sure, but the, I guess what I'm, what I'm getting to here is that I had a bit of an issue. I quite enjoyed the first hour or so, and it is a long film. But when they decided, no, we're going to take her to the trenches and put her in the middle of the war to end all wars, as you say, the worst kind of humanity has to offer. And she then kind of bounces through it and deflects bullets, and it's all terrific. And she takes out a machine gun post just by doing all her superhero stuff. I thought it was 
do I think it's really disrespectful to what was actually a, a, an incredible human tragedy to have this comic book character wandering through it just as, it, as if it was a bit of a breeze? One other issue on that was the fact that her motivation, and it's repeatedly stated, is the fact that she wants to end the killing. She, doesn't, she, she believes that a god is, is making man kill man. And yet when her team of people shoot Germans through that trench sequence, it's actually seen as a real plus. It's like a job well done. So it's fine when they're kind of comic book Germans. They're, they're uh, so utterly the kind of the, the bad guys in this, which, you know, it, given the history of World War One, it just seemed a bizarre. Why take on that context with all the emotional content and backstory of World War One? Why make that just the backdrop to a superhero film? Well, I didn't I would, get that. I would dispute that. In, mm. I, I don't want to go into too much spoiler territory here, but, like, I mean, I'll just, I'll just say, but by the end, the film then almost did a kind of moral U-turn at the end and said, okay, the Germans were the baddies at one point, but actually... Right, you the know, bit when we shot them, that was okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just on that previous yep. note, it's a bit like the X-Men films, keep going back to Auschwitz, with Michael Fassbender's sort of backstory. That's never really settled. Yeah, well using the Holocaust or World War One as a plot device yeah, in a comic I, book I, film, I, I do I'm know a what little you mean. bit uneasy about. I know, yeah. Still, my bigger issue, though, was that I, I just thought it went on too long. I wouldn't recommend it myself, but what would your scores be? Well, I'm going to replicate the scores I gave in my review. So two stars for anticipation, you know, modest anticipation. Four stars for enjoyment. I had a good time with it and it didn't lag and I, th- I thought it was kind of well-paced over that time. And uh, maybe maybe a three star for, for, for in retrospect. I, you know, I thought it was a nice film, but I'd probably go and watch a sequel rather than re-watch this one. Mm. I would go three, two, two. Okay, and just say that I I enjoyed the opening sequence. Everything's set on the island, the all-female Amazonian island. What's his name, Adam? Let's just call it the all-female Amazonian island for now. That that whole sequence I thought was great. If the film had stayed there, I'd been quite happy. I quite like the ending, but there's a sort of weird, I mean, fish out of water sequence initially where she's going through war era London um, that I just thought was terribly. Pygmalion almost yeah yeah Yeah, but I mean tonally the film's pretty consistent and like you say it is at least a coherent story from DC Mm. there's also a great game of you know spot the actor because it's a very interesting and diverse cast you've got Captain Kirk Dawn out the office Mrs Underwood Spud from Trainspotting who am I missing oh Professor Lupin yeah Yeah. that's the one yeah I thought that in this film Ewan Bremner does a better Spud from Train Spotting than he did in Train Spotting Two. Right, so, absolutely. That was uh, that was a treat. All right, slightly rando their yeah, their inclusion. Sorry. That kind of no, not that, but the his inclusion. That kind of band of you know that motley band of renegades, which includes uh, a Native American character called right. Chief, who at one point sets off some smoke signals. Mm. To, I was a bit. Mm. Yeah, he's really the guy you'd go to if you wanted to be. They use him as a smuggler. They, he smuggles them yeah. into wartime Belgium, which presumably requires a certain amount of covert activity, which as a fully regalia <laughs> Native American chief was a bit of a stretch of imagination, but, uh, you know, lasso of truth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, there you go. I'm, I'd add my scores remarkably similar to yours. I'd go three, two, one, with the proviso that the two in the middle, it was actually kind of like a three and a half for the first bit and then plummeted wildly. Well, there you go, Wonder Woman. Now, also this week, and also about the redemptive power of love, at a 15th of the budget is our next film, my life as a courgette. I'm going to take you to a really nice place with other children who are like you. 
kids who have no mom or dad. But I do have a mom. Uh, your mom is gone, Icar. My name is Courgette. Courgette? Did your mother give you that name? No. You can call me Raymond. Did your mother give you that name? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the very lovely My Life as a Courgette, or if you're listening in the States, My Life as a Zucchini. Adam, synopsis? Briefly, it's about a young boy called Courgette, uh, and it's his story in an orphanage. We meet him very early on, gets disconnected from his mother, and it's basically about him trying to fit in in, in a pretty tough, sort of hard knocks orphanage. Mm. Extraordinary film, this. Made for $8 million. It's only 66 minutes long, so it's less than half the length of, uh, of Wonder Woman. And uh, it's incredibly quiet where Wonder Woman's incredibly loud. But I would suggest it speaks with a much more powerful voice. Adam, what did you think? Yeah, totally agree. I mean, it, I'm a bit of a sucker for these kinds of films. I'm a big fan of claymation, um, this type of animation. And yeah, it's just a very sweet, very simple, very beautiful film. Claude Barras, the director, I'm, I'm not sure how much he's he sort of done previously or worked in this medium, but Celine Sciamma, I would say, is probably the, the, the real star here, who's, who's the writer. And she previously made a film called Tomboy um, and Girlhood as well. She's a sort of big director in France. And yeah, she just really delivers on this one, I think. Mm. Claude Barras, a reader, has never made anything previously that was more than eight minutes long. So it's quite a leap, this, for him. He called this Ken Loach for Kids. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd go with that, maybe. Uh, it's, it's definitely not what, what you'd describe as that feel-good movie. People thinking it, going in thinking, uh, you know, lovely, kiddie-friendly animation. I mean, it, it kind of is that. And actually, I think that a lot of the themes it deals with are the sort of things which children are, you know, pretty receptive to mm. and, and I would say aware of in the world, but... Well, given, um, the, given the situations that the, the children in the orphanage have found themselves in, or the reason they've got there, there are some very dark themes explored, but it, it did leave me with a real glow. And actually, I, mean, I saw it with two people, one of whom absolutely did not want to watch it, mm. and by the end, he absolutely loved it, which I thought was really interesting. David, what was your take? Oh, same. I, I, think, I think it's incredible. I mean, it's... Yeah, feel good, I think, is, is, is a sort of tough term to use. I mean, it's like... It obviously has some very dark themes in it and these kids are, are all in, you know, they're in this orphanage and you find out why and everyone is, is not in a good situation. I think the overwhelming thing in it is the kind of humanism and the, and, and it's very life-affirming and this, this idea that there are sort of safety nets there to catch the people when they fall, especially young people who are vulnerable. It's very kind of up with things like social care and I guess... You know the the value of having orphanages and people trained in as as carers for children as well. I mean, just on a technical level, it feels like the perfect medium. It's kind of claymation puppets, stop motion animation, stop frame, really beautifully rendered. It, it's quite sort of childlike in its presentation of the characters, which fits nicely into this idea of a. It's like a kind of child's toy box movie. Mm. I mean, I I saw it in Cannes last year, and. There wasn't a dry eye in the house by the end of it. I mean, everyone was... was uh, it was a massive standing ovation and everyone was just sort of clapping and crying at the same time. Um, you saw the original version with subtitles. Yes. And Adam, did you watch... Because I, I believe they're both being released, a dub version and, a, and an original 
language. I believe so, yeah. yeah. I, I watched the um, one with the English subtitles. Right, yeah. As did I. I haven't heard beyond, you know, a few clips, the the dubbed version. I'm sure it's very good, but I just thought the performances in, in the original version were so naturalistic that I would kind of urge people to see that if they had the choice. It was, it was like almost just eavesdropping or watching a, a documentary or something. It just felt so real, which is kind of an interesting juxtaposition with the extreme unreality of the fact that it's done in this quite um, caricatured uh, stop-frame claymation process. I think you, you, you're bang on, on on the voice work. I think it's amazing. I, I would always recommend people to watch animated films in the language in which they were originally written. Right. I mean, same with Studio Ghibli films. I mean, I think one thing to quickly add is this movie does bear comparison with um, some of the recent Pixar films, especially something like Inside Out, which was a film which tried to tackle preteen depression or puberty in quite a in quite a fun air quotes way Mm. I mean I think the thing with um, Pixar movies is they go quite far but they never quite tip over the edge Mm. and I think this one really takes you further the furthest to the edge that a kind of family movie would sort of dare to take you Yeah, and that is a you know, a hearty recommendation. There are quite a few laughs in this as well, no? Oh, no, it's, very, it's still very funny. I mean, it's tragicomic, definitely. And there's a bit of drama as well with the aunt. Oh, yes. The sort of Cruella de Vilesque. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's all sorts to enjoy in this film. Adam, would you like to give it some numbers? Yeah, uh, I'd go 4-4 four, four, four for this. All right. David? I'd probably go 4-5-5. Four, five, five. <sighs> Big scores. It's a, it's a really, I think it's exceptional. Yeah. Exceptional animation. All right. I, I don't think I disagree with you. And in actual fact, I'm curious because this was nominated for an Oscar along with Kubo and Two Strings, which is a great film. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else was in there? Oh, Zootopia, which actually won it. Oh, and The Red Turtle, which I'm not seen yet, but everybody says, you know, speaking of Studio Ghibli, is just terrific. But uh, Zootopia won the Oscar over this and Red Turtle and Kubo, which seems a bit silly. Yeah, it's kind of sad, but, you know, it's America. I mean, mm. you know, they give prizes to their own. Right. Just to defend Zootopia, well, I like Zootopia, but I think Red Tail's still out in cinemas mm. in the UK. So book yourself out a Sunday afternoon and go and see both if you can. All if right. they're showing locally. Well, this one certainly doesn't take you long, does it? No, this could be like the pre-show. Very nice. You could probably watch both in the time it took you to see Wonder Woman. There you go. And I know which we'd choose, Adam. Hey. Exactly. From a disarming film next to the one where the guy loses a leg. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, everybody. It's Film Club, the bit where we recommend a classic film, a film you may have missed, or just generally a film worth reappraising. And this week, in honor of the fact that Clint Eastwood's just turned 87... We've gone with something from back in the day when he wasn't bothering chairs on, on stage. A film that's actually just been remade, as you were mentioning earlier, by Sofia Coppola. It's The Beguile, but the 1971 version, which when it was advertised to cinema goes in theatres, sounded a little something like this. A refuge or a hell, as Clint Eastwood, wounded Yankee, is brought to an all-girls school to become the prisoner of these man-deprived women. These man-eager girls. The interesting clip there, it might explain why The Beguiled, while now regarded as something of a classic, actually flopped when it was first released. This was directed by and produced by uh, Don Siegel, a long-time collaborator with The Clint. Uh, it was the third of five collaborations they made. Don said it was his favourite of all of those films, the other ones being Coogan's Bluff, Two Mules for Sister Sarah, Dirty Harry and Escape from Alcatraz. And intriguingly, I read that it was originally going to be called Pussy Footing Down at the Old Plantation. That's quite a change. That's cinema's <laughs> loss. They changed that <laughs> Well, should we, should we hear some views from, from people who joined us in Film Club this week and gave us their thoughts? Juan Mayer says, I saw it and I think it's a great film. Richard Deering, great movie, nice bit of Southern Gothic. Ahmed Ali, love a well-executed Southern Gothic. Nikolai Yuritovich says, Great unpretentious yarn like a great nasty fairy tale, but not the first choice to remake. You've seen the remake. Why do you think Sophia went, ah, oh, I'm going to have a go at this? Well, I think her film is, is more of a stripped-down version. It's shorter and tighter, and some of the kind of subplots are taken out from the original. I mean, she, I think she went back to the source novel... There are fewer, if any, flashbacks in her movie as well. So she sort of shears it of context and, you know, you don't really see the world outside their school for girls that they're kind of trapped in during the Civil War. Mm. Whereas, I mean, I think what what, uh, makes the Don Siegel version a different and I think equally great movie is that there are all these little kind of nuggets of social commentary you get throughout the film. And, in fact, one of the things that Coppola leaves out is... uh, there is in the school they have a slave, mm. a female slave, who is not in this new version. Really? Because I thought she's one of the kind of underexplored characters of, of and, the original. And, and I think she certainly makes the whole, the whole kind of gumbo a lot more complicated. I guess I always found it a really weird film, almost not a film I expect someone like Clint Eastwood to make. I mean, it's like. I don't really know that much about him in his early years as a kind of celebrity. But I, w- I always wondered if this was some kind of commentary on his, like him as a, as maybe like an idol or a, te- you know, right. being loved by all these women of but, all but different ages. Them. Yeah, and then being exploited back as back, well. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, what did you think? Well, it's interesting. It was, it was made at the height, I guess, of Clint's Hollywood stardom, would you say? And, and at the time, he would have been, you know, the ultimate symbol of on-screen masculinity mm. and, and effect- effectively in this film he's emasculated 
it must have been quite a shock for audiences. I'm kind of not surprised that it didn't do that well. Right. Um, but yeah, it feels very of its time. It's quite kind of psychedelic, uh, it really certainly is. early on. Yeah. Well, that, that's the thing. The first bit, I'd not seen it, but was, you know, always heard about it. So when I put it on, I was a bit taken aback at quite how Hammer House of Horror it is. The beginning, there's all these kind of wild crash zooms and, and the score's going off in a billion different... It's, it's all a bit kind of carnival ride in, in its garishness. But when it calms down, I thought it was fascinating. And that um, gumbo of the kind of plots and themes and stuff has got everything in there, kind of like underage incest, incest <laughs> black-white relation to slavery, everything. I, there's some really dark stuff going on in there. And, uh, yeah, and a particularly dark ending as well. It's definitely worth going back and look at, not least to uh, be impressed with how much that era, Clint, looks like Hugh Jackman as Logan. Oh, yeah. I mean, his uh, lamb chops. Mm. I pray for a time we're not divided by drums. As Clint says around the dinner table in the film, which I think will strike a chord with anyone who listens to this podcast. Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) Uh, Or fans of Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In the Sophia version... Is there the infamous turtle side? I'm not going to answer that because uh, I don't want to spoil it. Right. <laughs> Wait and see, I guess. Right. Well, I'm going to be fascinated to see the new version and discover what naughty song she's put on the soundtrack and that kind of thing. When's it out in the UK? Uh, I believe it's 16th of July. Right, so that'll be coming up in a couple of weeks' time on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. <laughs> Meantime, next week... We've got an exciting lineup. We're going to be joining you a little bit later in the week so as to accommodate the very exciting remake of The Mummy with uh, well, Tom Cruise. Can we call it a remake? I think it's a sort of... Is hard, it a reboot? Hard a re- reboot, re- yeah. Hard reboot. Hard reboot. That's like control out, delete. Yeah, and, uh, I, think, I think that's what it is. <laughs> turn, really? Turn it off at the Well, if Pirates and... of the Caribbean 5 was a soft reboot, right? I imagine this is more... More of a hard reboot. Are they taking it back to the kind of original 30s mummy? They are relaunching the Universal Monsters. Mm. So we're going to get a, a Wolfman movie and a Frankenstein movie. and So this is part of that. Right, so they're going to have a Universal Monsters universe. Yeah. Okay, well, so now that. So it's, it's a later podcast for us next week, but to accommodate that. Plus, we're going to be looking at some of the other releases in a week, which includes My Cousin Rachel and also the intriguingly titled Berlin Syndrome. Is that right? believe so okay uh and of course we'll have another edition of film club adam what are we going to be watching this time we're going to be watching terry zweigoff's ghost world from 2001 mm. uh which is probably the best comic book movie ever made right okay T- tm who, who's who's in it uh it's got a, a young scarlett johansson and sort of pre-hollywood megastar scarlett johansson mm-hmm. uh, and thora birch as well she, she was actually probably the biggest star at the time right um, steve buscemi's up, in it too steve no? buscemi's in it as well and yeah, it's, it's a brilliant film, probably one of the best films of the current millennium, I would say. Really? Okay. Well, that's, that's your homework for next week then, when we'll be joining you sometime after Friday morning. Anything else that we should tell people about? I did love the trailer that you guys put up for Logan Lucky, the new Steven Soderbergh picture, part of a new generation of kind of slightly knowing takes on classic film genres. We're seeing a lot of that at the moment. Yeah, they're saying that this is his kind of southern redneck version of Ocean's Eleven. Nice. So, yeah, yeah, excited. I mean, Soderbergh has been in retirement for four years from movies. He's been making TV. This is his his big return. I think that's coming out in sort of the end of August. So 
yeah, excited for it. It looks looks fun. Right. Well, you can read more about that on the Little White Lies uh, website and many other great things. For example, that lovely piece that one of you guys or, or one of your kind of extended family put together on uh, great post-credit scenes that were never then picked up for a movie. Yeah. Yeah. If you do want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook, at Little White Lies, on Twitter, at Little White Lies, or via email uh, with the address truthandmovies at tcolondon.com. Many thanks for listening. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, this has been a Seven Digital production. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.